This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I gotta say, there was a moment uh, a very short time ago in which we all got on this call. Sam's Wi-Fi cut out. He was bounced from the call. I was made the host of the call. And then Sam logged back in and it gave me this window that said, Sam Dykstra has entered the waiting room. Admit or view. And I was drunk with power for like four seconds. I was like, Sam's entire fate is hanging in the balance at my fingertips right now to determine whether or not he would uh, come on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. And I, being the benevolent leader that I am, I granted you admission, Sam. Yeah, and in doing so, I wrestled back hosting duties <laughs> on it. the Zoom call. So I usurped you very what a easily. rip-off like, that is. It's uh, the worst Trojan horse of all time, is me just trying to get into a Zoom call and just being like, surprise, <laughs> it's reverted back to me. The very fitting, uh, I, I don't even know if Sam will remember this, but Ben and I will remember this. There was like a big virus that went around the internet in like the late 90s called the Trojan Horse Virus. <laughs> so it's it's very uh, it's very internet connected, Sam. Nicely done. Uh, I also thought that the other button, it said admit or view. I thought that the other button would just like allow me to spy on you, like Truman Show style. thought it was going to be like view and you couldn't get in the room, but maybe I was just going to be seeing what you were up to. And uh, alas... That was not what that button did. So, uh, so you clicked the button first. Yeah, I did. Before you admitted me into this, I sure did. I was like, "What if Sam's just screwing around over there? What if he's, you know, like, like clicking? You're just like eating a bucket of chicken or something? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. How do I know if I want that level of professionalism or lack of it on the podcast this week? I wanted to view the situation and determine accordingly. You know what you would have gotten, and this is not a sponsored mention, but you would have gotten me sipping my Dunkin' coffee because ah! I am a walking, talking stereotype. So <laughs> you really are. Sam's the Sam is that guy from Massachusetts. Um, that guy from Pennsylvania is Benjamin Hills. We welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. I didn't introduce anybody. My name is Tyler Ron. Sam Dykstra, the other voice you heard, and now here's Ben Hill. Hi, Ben Hill. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Sam. Yeah, we're all in three different locations today in two different countries. Um, I'm holding it down here in, in New York City in a phone room in, in the uh, Major League Baseball offices. And uh, Sam is in Binghamton, where I just was last week. Uh, no, earlier this month. <laughs> last month, for by the time this podcast actually airs. Um, but I have some Binghamton memories. And uh, Tyler, you're in Taiwan? I am. Uh, I'm in Taipei, known as the Binghamton of this area of Taiwan, I would assume. I I have nothing to back that up. Is that, is that true? On. I feel like that's not true. Nothing to back that up on. Um, yeah. I feel like Binghamton would be more likely to be referred as the blank of wherever in Western slash upstate slash northern slash wherever in New York, whatever you wanted to wanted to call it. But I don't know what I don't know what they call Binghamton. I know they're big on carousels there. 
It is true. And I, I was a little bummed uh, to be doing this from my hotel room and not from the public park that Ben did his podcast segment. You really should have done um, You really should have. You should have made a special I mean, pilgrimage. People who live near there would be like, uh, do we need to call someone on this? There's just been like random dudes hanging out, like talking into their Zoom calls on their phones. Would have been pretty creepy and funny. It would have been if you want it. If you want to play it this way, I could be uh, doing this call from the Twilight Zone itself. Oh, nicely done. So let, let's play it that way. Yeah, nicely done, Sam. Uh, well, tell the good folks uh, what takes you to Binghamton this week. Yeah, I am here for the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month, which is on Thursday. It's literally the last day of August. Um, we snug it in here at the end, but uh, Binghamton is hosting Harrisburg this week. And I wanted to get up here for for many reasons. I mean, both lineups are really loaded. Uh, the, on the Binghamton side, they have Luis Angel Acuna and Drew Gilbert, the top two prospects in the Mets system, who were both acquired at the trade deadline in deals for Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, respectively. Uh, and, you know, we were planning to come up here anyways to, to see those guys. And then also Kevin Parada, the Mets' first-round pick from last year, got called up from high-A Brooklyn. Uh, so this... Rumble Ponies lineup got even more loaded. That was exciting to see. Um, caught a little bit of their game last night. But on the other side, and we'll circle back to this in our interview segment, Harrisburg is similarly really loaded. They have three top 100 prospects, uh, led by number two overall pick Dylan Cruz, who is our guest on the show uh, this week. Also, another top 10 prospect, James Wood, uh, plays the outfield alongside Dylan Cruz, and they have Brady House, a third baseman, and a first-round pick two years ago, who is healthy this year and productive, climbing three levels in the Nats system. Um, a lot of the excitement for Washington uh, right now is in the minor league ranks, and a lot of it is concentrated on that Harrisburg team. So you have Harrisburg meeting up with Binghamton, wanting to get up here uh, and really highlight this game. So, uh, you know, look back on the – MILB and MLB Pipeline Instagram pages for some of our coverage of that. We're going to have a ballpark tour here in Binghamton that we'll be posting. Uh, we're also going to be doing an Instagram live interview with Drew Gilbert and Blade Tidwell, uh, a draft pick of the Mets last year, and their number two pitching prospect. We're going to be doing a pitching lab with him in the future. We're going to get him to break down all of his pitches. His fastball and slider are really good. Um, so a lot of things coming out of Binghamton, but yeah, that is why I'm here. A lot of cool stuff coming up on this week's episode of the show before the show. Um, I'm glad that Sam mentioned the name Brady House because, uh, as noted, uh, I'm in Taiwan for the U18 Baseball World Cup. Brady House, currently uh, one of the top prospects in that Washington organization. I didn't call his games at a U18 World Cup, but I did call them at a U15 World Cup in 2018. Uh, the manager of that team for USA Baseball, Jason Maxwell, he's a member of the coaching staff for the U18 team uh, this year, uh, which is led by Michael Kadire, who is the manager Tons of talent coming out of the U18 Baseball World Cup. So that's what I'm doing here. And uh, we get a chance to talk about all things baseball on the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. And uh, let's let's dive right in. We've got uh, a bunch of cool stuff to chat about with Ben Hill this week. And we're kicking things off with a story that uh, when Ben told us what the topic was going to be, I thought he was just talking about like a front office member with the same name as a famous actor. But he's actually talking about the actor himself, who is uh, an aged fan of minor league baseball. Ben, um, tell I did not realize that Richard Chamberlain 
in the year of our Lord 2023 was hanging out at minor league baseball games. That's pretty dang cool. Well, Tyler, as is often the case, and especially when he's in uh, different countries and wildly different time zones, has gotten uh, somewhat confused about the uh, nature of the story. It is about a man named Richard Chamberlain, but not the star of stage and screen of years ago. Oh, I asked you before. I thought you said it was. I did, but I was joking. (laughs) Jokes don't travel. I was like, what? Richard Chamberlain? And I was especially confused because... Um, well, first off, he's 89 years old. Uh, but second of all, I would assume that he lives in Los Angeles, which made it very confusing to me that he was, uh, going to Montgomery biscuits games. Yeah. I thought you were joking when you said that. So I I knew who it was. I knew it wasn't Richard Chamberlain, but I did want to point out that Richard Chamberlain and I did not know this. I just, I Googled that Richard Chamberlain, uh, to lead into this. I did not know this. Um, And really, this is just a way for me to shoehorn this fact in. Richard Chamberlain was the first actor to play Jason Bourne in a 1988 made-for-TV movie based on the Bourne identity. That was all, this was all a ruse for me to bring up this random 35-year-old fact about Richard Chamberlain. Now tell us about the real Richard Chamberlain, not the actor. The real Richard Chamberlain. Uh, Well, this is a story that's been up on the site for a little while. haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast yet. Um... Back in June, when I went to Montgomery, you know, I go on road trips, I collect stories, uh, I disperse them out, you know, over the coming days, weeks and months. Um, But I talked to a guy named Richard Chamberlain, not the actor, who has been to all but two Montgomery Biscuits games in the history of the franchise. And that was due to a health issue. When tickets for the team, the um, Montgomery Biscuits are the double A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Their inaugural season was in 2004. Um, he was the first in line for season tickets. He was also the first in line at the team store when merchandise went on sale. And in the entire history of the franchise, except in two games that he missed due to a health issue in 2005, he has attended every game. Not only that, he has gotten to the ballpark when the gates open for every single one of those games and has been in a seat for every pitch for every single one of those games. Uh, he is now at somewhere over 1,300 games. Uh, approaching 1200 consecutive games i believe and uh you know i I was told about him when i visited the biscuits uh you know by the front office saying hey you might want to talk to this guy he's a dedicated fan and uh i found him interesting because you know i write about fans a lot and uh, a lot of fans are um you know super fans are you know boisterous people whether it's chanting or signs or you know little good luck charms set up you know around their seats uh, they kind of draw attention to themselves in some way. And Richard Chamberlain's the opposite of that. He's just like, I want to get to this game and I want to watch every pitch. And he'll talk to you. He's not like an unfriendly guy, uh, but he is just there for the baseball day in and day out and never misses a game. And when this story went up, you know, I write a lot of stories and they get varying levels of response, but this one got a really good response. And it wasn't people being like, yo, what a weirdo. It was people being like, I want to be this guy. I want to just go to every single game that I can uh, for my local team and just really settle in and be the biggest fan I can be. And it's interesting. I got an email from Richard uh, after the story ran and he said he's gotten like a lot of positive attention because of the story and people have been talking to him and approaching him and and asking him questions because that story went up on MILB.com. You can find it, of course, on that website. Go to MILB.com slash fans slash Ben's Biz for a nice collection of all the material, not all of it, but a lot of it in one place. Um, But he told me that a fan who lives in Atlanta, who was born in China, drove from Atlanta 
to the Biscuits game to meet him and take pictures and to send to his friends back home in China because these his Chinese friends in China were really interested in this guy who went to every single Montgomery Biscuits game. And I love those kind of stories because, you know, you put something out on the Internet, sometimes you don't get a great response. It's very easy as a writer to say, like, oh, no one reads what I do. And then to realize, like, wow, people in China were reading this story and uh, someone drove to the Biscuits game to <laughs> to meet Richard Chamberlain and share it with their friends in China. So you just never know uh, who's going to read a story and how it gets out there. But uh, Richard Chamberlain was a fun one. And uh, go to a Montgomery Biscuits game. He's right there. Um just pat on the just past the uh, first base dugout, uh, just beyond the nets because he doesn't want to watch the game through the netting and uh, keeping score, watching every pitch. Maybe the most dedicated minor league baseball fan I've ever met. When you measure dedication, just in terms of sheer number of games attended and number of pitches seen. Take that other Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> That's way cooler than uh, some made-for-TV born identity movie. Yeah, I mean, hey, Richard Chamberlains can all get along. They don't have to be pitted against one another. <laughs> we can live in a land of harmony among Richard Chamberlains. Have you come across a fan who has done something similar? It's one thing like, oh, I've attended a certain amount of games or I've you know, been to a certain amount of games consecutively. But for somebody to be there when the gates open, watch every single pitch and that be the whole thing. That is, I mean, yeah, like you said, in measuring dedication, I don't know, you get much more dedicated than that. Yeah, it's intense. And he has a job. He didn't tell me what his job is, but he's just like, I have an understanding with my boss. You know, sometimes I need to leave early or I'll take the days off I need when it's day games. And uh, the game that I was in town for in Montgomery, it was a uh, doubleheader that, you know, just became a doubleheader, you know, the day before because of a rainout. So the six o'clock start was moved to four o'clock and Richard Chamberlain was there at three o'clock when the gates open for uh, a Friday afternoon doubleheader. He is always there. Okay, three, two, one. All right, Ben, well, um, there are a lot of unsung heroes in minor league baseball. um, And one area, one staffing position at minor league ballparks, and really, honestly, at major league ballparks and other sporting events across the country, is the position of the stringer, um, which is something that is probably not well uh, known or well understood. But in Lehigh Valley, you've got a chance to uh, dissect the job of a stringer. Um, and it's something that's super important for the mechanics of kind of how baseball games uh, are you know, operated and archived and statted and all of that. Uh, tell us about this Lehigh Valley story. Yeah, when I visited the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs at Coca-Cola Park uh, in early August, um, got to give credit to their broadcaster, Sam Jelinek, who suggested, hey, our game day stringer, our game stringer, guy named by the name of Corey Christ, has been with the team uh, since the inaugural season of 2008 and has only missed a handful of games. And he might be an interesting guy to talk to. And I said, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Um, I don't think I've ever written about a stringer before. And if you think about the characters in the press box, a lot of them are pretty self-explanatory. You know, the writers are writing about the game. The broadcasters are broadcasting the game. The scorer is scoring the game. And similarly, the stringer is stringing the game. And what stringing is, is they are entering the results of every pitch on a manual scorecard as backup, but also directly into a computer uh, via, uh, you know, via a code that they use. And then that code is transmitted, you know, online. And that is what forms, you know, the game day play-by-play logs, the box scores. So they are entering the raw data that becomes everything we see online uh, regarding the play-by-play, the box scores, everything 
uh, all the digital information we see about every single game. Um, so on one hand, it's, I don't want to say simple job, but you know that's a fairly simple description. You just enter in the results using uh, a specific code. But think about baseball. It's one thing just to be like, okay, that's a ball, that's a strike. But he was like, yeah, man, I've been doing this since t- 2008. And you just never, the old cliche, you never know what you're going to see at a baseball game. And think about it. Uh, for those who are transmitting the results, or if you're at home following along um, on game day, watching a game uh, get updated and say there's a runner on first and second and a wild pitch and the runner on second scores and there's an error on the play and uh, maybe it was a strikeout wild pitch and the guy gets to first and et cetera, et cetera. You have to know the code for all of that and try to get it into the system and hopefully do that by the time the next batter is up and now new pitches are coming in. But also there are support people all across the country. So every stringer working a game has support to say like, whoa, this just happened. How do I do this? Or, hey, I need you to take a look at this to make sure I got it right. Um, So it's a massive operation and uh, interesting to think about uh, between everyone at a ballpark who is stringing the game and then the massive support system that exists to help them in stringing the game. And then all the information that we have at our fingertips is through this process that's taking place in the press box every single night at every single minor league ballpark. And um, like I said, Corey Christ in Lehigh Valley, he's been doing it since 2008. Uh, he works in the education field. So it's a pretty good job to have in terms of his, his overall schedule. And uh, he just loves it. He just loves being that, uh, you know, into every game and taking pride in the role he plays. No one's going to look at a box score and be like, ah, oh, I recognize the work of that stringer anywhere, anywhere. But at the same time, you know, it's a crucial job and it was cool to, you know, shine a light on that. Something that honestly, I never really thought about. I've been in so many press boxes and you, you see those guys doing their thing and, it, they, they're so anonymous and I just hadn't thought about it. And I felt, I don't want to say guilty, but like, yeah, that's cool. These guys have stories too. So it was good to write about a stringer, especially me doing this job so long. It's always cool to highlight a job that I have not highlighted before because written a lot about a lot of ushers, a lot of broadcasters, a lot of uh, game day employees of various stripes, food and beverage people, but a stringer, this was a first. One thing I really want to highlight on that, Ben, and, and you, you touched on it there was the fact that there is, a human being behind this in we live in a world now where so much is getting automated and so much is just automatically happening. And, you know, there's writer strikes and, and actor strikes trying to fight back against AI. The fact that there is still this piece of technology that the game is so reliant on. I mean, this is where official stats are drawn is from the game day box score. Um, the fact that there is a human behind that and then another human or humans behind them to help, I think th- this is the perfect time to tell that story. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I hope these jobs are not replaced by AI. That would be tough to do. You'd have to have uh, AI uh, sentient enough to understand itself what it is, quote unquote, seeing on the field to enter it automatically. So hopefully that's uh, not coming anytime soon. But you're right. There is a human being behind everything going on with every single um you know, bit of statistical data that is transmitted uh, throughout the minor leagues. And it's kind of interesting to think about. All right, Ben, what else we got coming up uh, from your travels or anything else to the site? Well, I've got a trip. I have a road trip coming up that I want to talk about now because if you listen to this podcast, maybe you'll be in one of these ballparks. If so, I would love to see you. If so, if you're interested in being a designated eater, Consuming the gluten-free cuisine that my uh, the consuming the ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits, 
uh, you know, get in touch. Email me at benjamin.hill at mlb.com. I am going to, on Wednesday, First Horizon Park, Wednesday, September 6th. First Horizon Park in Nashville, home of the Nashville Sounds. Um, haven't been there since their inaugural season of 2013, 2015 in that ballpark, not the inaugural season of the team, but haven't been to Nashville, uh, their ballpark since 2015. Uh, from there on Thursday, September 7th, going to Bowling Green Ballpark, home of the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Uh, that's another one I haven't been to in a long time, over a decade. Uh, and they are playing as the bootleggers, you know, celebrating illicit whiskey smuggling in the region. Uh, so they play as that identity every Thursday. Uh, excited to see that and excited to finally make it back to Bowling Green on Thursday, September 7th. Friday, September 8th, staying in the great state of Kentucky and moving on to Louisville, home of the Bats. Louisville Slugger Field Stadium. Uh, regardless, that's a AAA Reds affiliate. And uh, again, it's been like nine years since I've been there uh, seeing the Louisville Bats. And then on Saturday, September 9th, the Indianapolis Indians at Victory Field. It's been 2014 since I've been there as well. So uh, overdue for a trip there. And a lot, a lot of baseball history in that region with uh, the Indianapolis Indians franchise itself going back all the way to the start of the 20th century and professional baseball in that region uh, dates back even further than that. And then finally, Sunday, October 10th, Columbus Clippers. Um, haven't been there since 2014. Uh, AAA Cleveland Guardians affiliate. And um, that's a beautiful ballpark, Huntington at Huntington Park, Huntington Field. I always forget the designations. Is this a stadium, a park, a ballpark, a field? That one um, is a park. It's a park, Huntington Park. I do remember. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to all that. So once again, Wednesday, September 6th, Nashville Sounds. Uh, Thursday, September 7th, Bowling Green Hot Rods. Friday, September 8th, Louisville Bats. Saturday, September 9th, Indianapolis Indians. And Sunday, September 10th, Columbus Clippers. That'll be uh, my last road trip of the season and uh, will give me a lot of uh, sustenance material to write about uh, hopefully well into the off season. Uh, Cause I just keep trickling all this material out and um, that'll be it for another season on the road. So looking forward to getting back out there one more time. And again, if you want to be a designated eater at any of those ballparks on the dates in question, email me at benjamin.hill at mlb.com. Uh, I'll have more information on the trip in my newsletter, which is out at the, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the Ben's Biz Beat, you can subscribe to that. Go to milb.com, go to the newsletters uh, tab on the main uh, main navigation menu on the website, and subscribe to the newsletter. And uh, yeah, so excited, busy times, and then they'll be not as busy, but you know how it goes. We all stay busy. But then uh, you'll have some good stuff to carry us into the long, dark days of winter. And help us think of uh, the bright, happy days of uh, spring and summer to come. That's right. You know, I got to store some of this material for later. I always look at it as like the uh, industrious squirrel. Yeah. Stashing all those nuts away for for the lean times. I think there's an Aesop's fable about that somewhere. I think it was an ant in the fable who really got his act together and had a lot of great material. And then there was a lazy animal. Maybe it was a grasshopper. I can't remember. Who just uh, was real frivolous with his time. And then frittered away all the resources. Yeah, so I, I want to be a squirrel or an ant or whichever one, uh, you know, stockpiles the stuff for the lean times. That's me. I think that's a good plan. Uh, Benjamin Hill, who you can find on the social media networks, uh, Ben's Biz and The Ben's Biz. Uh, and now we pivot to Sam Dykstra, who leads us into our interview for this week. And it's a good one. 
Yeah, I was really excited to do this one this week. Um, you know, as part of my trip here to Binghamton, uh, and like I was saying earlier, both Binghamton and Harrisburg lineups are so loaded, uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't go wrong with trying to interview somebody. Uh, but I especially wanted to talk to Dylan Cruz, this year's number two overall pick, the Golden Spikes Award winner, the national champion with the LSU Tigers. Um, so much has happened for Dylan Cruz in the last few months. Uh, wanted to touch on all of that with him, what kind of, you know, where his head's at in this whirlwind. Uh, the fact that he's now at double A already in his first season, uh, pretty crazy, but we've always thought he was so advanced with his hit tool, uh, which, you know, we have as a 70 on the 20 to 80 scale that we thought he could be moved aggressively. And that's what the Nats have done so far. They skipped him over high A completely. Um, so now that he's at double A, I wanted to chat with him. Uh, just a quick note. We start out talking about something that happened on Tuesday night. Uh, on Tuesday, he was hit in the head by a pitch from Blade Tidwell. Uh, it was a breaking ball. It kind of glanced off his helmet. Um, but I just wanted to check in with him. So if you're a Nats fan, you might already know, he, he said he was going to be good to go for Thursday night. We're recording this Thursday morning, so we'll see if he's in the lineup tonight. But we expect him to be. So by the time you hear this, he might have already been back. But I just wanted to check in with him, see how he's doing. So that's how we start this interview. But here's me chatting with Dylan Cruz. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Dylan, well, we're catching you. After uh, an unfortunate incident last night, you got hit in the head with a breaking ball, kind of glanced off the top of the helmet. First off, how are you feeling today? I feel good today. Um, you know, I was a little, little dizzy um, you know, right after it hit me, but... Um, after sleeping on it, I feel good today, and um, you know they're giving me the, the day off today just to be cautious and um, you know just just to you know get another day of rest really, and um, I'll be ready for tomorrow. Yeah, especially you can't be too much, too cautious with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just to explain, what have the last few months been like for you? I know that's a very general yeah. question, but it's just so loaded for yeah. how much has gone on in your life the last few months. It's been crazy, you know. Everybody it always has been came up and, t- and telling me just you know I've had a crazy past few months and. Honestly, it's just all happening so fast. I haven't really, really been able to just sit down and enjoy it. Really, <laughs> you know, it's all—it's just one thing after another. I'm traveling here and there, um, you know, all the time. So uh, it's good though. It's my life now. You know, it's yeah, something right. that I kind of have to embrace, and and um, and I, I'm having a great time. Honestly, it's just—it's been a fun ride these past few months, and um, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. And I'm in a great spot right now. Yeah. And how did your mindset change? In the pros, where you can move from Fredericksburg to Harrisburg, compared yeah. to college, you were in Baton Rouge the whole time. Yeah. There is no moving up. Yeah, it's 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 different for sure. It's um it's a new world now, um but like I said, I kind of have to embrace it and, and understand that this is my life now, and you know changes are going to happen throughout my career, and um I got to learn how to how to deal with it. So it's good, it's good. Um you know I, I had a great time over in Fredericksburg, and uh, you know I was very fortunate to get promoted now and into double a with a great great group of guys right now so um like i said awesome i'm, I'm feel great feel comfortable so uh just keep things rolling and you know see what see where it ends up in the you know in the future yeah and, and speaking of getting called up what was your call-up story when, when they told you you're skipping wilmington yeah. and going straight to harrisburg 
Uh, yeah, they just announced it uh, with the team, and it was uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to you know have it in front of the team, and um, everybody was congratulating me. And um, you know, I thought I had, I was, you know, I've never done this before, so I was thinking maybe I got a few days to kind of you know get myself packed up and all that. But no, it's like right, it's the next day. I gotta <laughs> I gotta leave and, and head out uh, head out to uh, Harrisburg the next day, and so that's what I did and had a had to get packed up and, and hit the road. So so do you have all your stuff now? Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, okay. I've been living out of my, my truck for the past month now. So. <laughs> That's the minor league life, I That's guess. It. And uh, what, what have you learned about yourself in the early start to double A? Because this is a difficult level for a lot of guys to jump to this level. You're doing it very quickly. Yeah, I feel good. You know, it's um, it's very similar, I think, to like the top level in, in SEC play. Uh, right. I feel like double A is very similar to that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, a, a good thing a, a thing that my coach used to always tell me coach jay over, over at lsu was just like you know the game doesn't change people change so um you know as soon as i step in in between the lines and, and get in the batter's box everything kind of just you know goes away and you know it's just me competing um you know against somebody else on the on the field so mm-hmm. that's good yeah and i've heard that before too obviously the sec is so loaded as a conference but what is similar about that to double a ball yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'd say the, definitely the pitching for sure. You know, I mean, the talent here is great. Um, I feel like SEC is, is you know, just a top level um, in college for baseball. And, uh, you know, being there for three years, it, it just, I could see how similar it is with the, with the pitching. You know, everybody can, everybody here can command different, three different pitches. And I feel like that's very similar over in SEC. And, and um, you know, especially on the, and, and on the hitting side too, you have to, you have to uh, make good pitches as a, as a pitcher because guys here aren't, aren't going to chase as much and they're going to tone in on their zones and swing good pitches and take balls. So yeah, and how much does it help having seen like Blade Tidwell last night? Yeah, a, a Tennessee guy, another yeah. SEC guy going up against the box against. Yeah, him. it was cool. It was cool. You know, we've seen each other multiple times in, in college, and it was good to see him on the other side. Uh, you know, and in, in, in the pros, so it was good. You know, we've came a long way, and uh, it was just unfortunate that that had to happen. You know, obviously nobody wants to have that happen, so um, have nothing but respect for him. He's a great player, a great person. So, um, yeah, it was just good to good to see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the stories of your spring for me, anyways, was your ability to cut down on the strikeouts, increase the walks. Yeah. What did you, What did you do? What kind of work did you put in to make that happen? Yeah, that was probably like my main goal going into my junior year really um you know I, I got with coach and was just we just did a bunch of um commanding the zone drills really um going back to the basics seeing the ball and and um you know just shortening up really um I feel like I got really good bat speed and and good bat to ball skills so if I can just um use my eyes my gift and um just command the zone the best that I can naturally my walks are going to go up and my strikeouts are going to go down and my extra base hits are going to go up from me um you know hitting better pitches in the zone mm-hmm. yeah what kind of drills were were you working on with those yeah it was just uh you know we got seven ball drill that we put on the on the home plate um you know he'll throw it or front toss it and after after all the numbers or all the balls are uh have a number on them one through seven so there's seven baseballs on the on front of the plate and it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then he'll throw it. I'll just recognize where that pitch was and mm. call out the number that it was pretty much over the uh, over the baseball. So, okay, um, there's that one. Um, you know, we got a really neat machine that's that's came out called the eye pitch machine, and um, it looks, it's very similar to um, pitchers. And it, like it, it can throw many different pitches right. at once. So. Um, 
you know, just getting on that as much as I can, really, and um, trying to make it as real as possible. And just seeing the baseball, you know, swinging at good pitches, taking pitchers' pitches, and, um, you know, just commanding it as much as I can, really. I think that's just really, um, that really helped me, trying to just make every situation and practice as game-like as possible. So that's probably what helped me out the most. Yeah, when did it feel like that was actually working and that clicked in? Yeah, uh, I think during fall scrimmages, really, mm-hmm. you know, because we had some really good talent on our team and, um, you know, being able to tone in and make those games like almost feel like spring games in, in during the season um, really helped me out a lot and it made the transition pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously you guys were so loaded, number one, for much of the spring. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about the title game because it was so there's a lot of hype going into that game. You guys win 18 to four. Yeah, what was it like playing in that game? You were four for six. I mean, yeah. everybody seemed hot in the lineup. But oh, it was awesome. It was great. You know, it was just we woke up that day and uh, we just felt like nobody in the country was beating us that day. We did really well with um, you know not losing back to back games the whole year. I think we only did that maybe once or twice throughout the year. So. I mean, we lost that second game, but um, we knew that third game was going to be really hard to beat us, and uh, we were going to put it on on them every single inning, no matter what the score was. Um, you know, so it was good. It was awesome. It was, I mean, it was the best experience of my life. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah getting the dog pile at Omaha is a yeah, dream so many kids have. Just finishing out on top is just an unbelievable feeling. What was the energy like in the dugout? Like, was there a specific inning? Was it the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, where you guys were like, we're basically national champs now? It's that's funny because um, really I feel like the first eight innings it was just us doing our deal and us mm-hmm. playing baseball, and then we finally ran out in the ninth inning and like you just look around and it's crazy like we just thought to ourselves man we're three outs away from winning the national championship like it just after that first out we're like oh my gosh this is actually <laughs> about to happen like it, it the first eight innings it was just like I said it was just us playing baseball. And I think that's the craziest part. And we didn't think once the first eight innings that this is a, a national championship game. We just try to do our best the, the whole game and do what we've been doing the whole year. And that ninth inning finally set in. <laughs> so at what point do you decide or do you allow yourself to switch into draft mode coming off winning the last game of the year, which is not yeah. th- something a lot of guys get to do? Yeah. Uh, you know, after the season, I took two weeks off, you know, just to – um, kind of wrap myself almost in bubble wrap to get ready for the draft. I would you know? hope so, yeah. Don't want to do anything stupid before the draft. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of took some time off and, and relaxed and, and enjoyed it as much as I could. And, um, yeah, so I guess right before the draft, really, um, you know, I, I kind of just shifted into another another gear and had to get ready for that. And um, as soon as I got my name called, I uh, then I had to get back into in the, in the gym and in the cages and start working for for another two or three more weeks until I uh, ended up in West Palm and trained there for about another week and then uh, headed up to Fredericksburg. Yeah, what was the call like from the Nats saying, "Hey, we're taking you number two? Uh, it was a great feeling. It was an awesome feeling. Um, it was crazy. I, I I talked to Nats actually the least out of every, oh, really? out of like the yeah top four or five teams. So, um, but I guess you know teams just. They don't have to think twice about it, really. So I think that's a that's a that's a good feeling. It's a great feeling knowing I'm in, I'm in a very special organization that that thinks a lot about me. So um, yeah, I feel great. It was just it was an awesome call. You know, they uh, were congratulating me, and 
and welcoming me to uh, to this organization. And you know, they know they have a great history with uh, you know how to get to the World Series and winning it. They, you know, they won it in 2019. So um, yeah, I think we got a great group uh, group of guys on this team. Great core uh, group of guys and. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, how quickly did you look at the uh, outfield depth chart and find out James Wood, Robert Hassel, yeah, Elijah Green? I didn't really think of think about it when I got drafted, and then I started looking, and you just go down the list, and you got some, some, some good dudes on this on this organization. Right. Yeah, and I saw a picture of you guys in the dugout during your debut, James Wood smiling ear to ear just yeah. to be around you. What has it been like working with those guys? Oh, it's awesome. It's great. You know, they're, they're just really – I think they're great ball players, but they're even better people. I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's really, really easy to work with them. Um, I think that's that's just awesome. You know, they're like I said, great, great ball players. Um, you know, it, it's been great. I've been here for a week now, and um, I, I can just—they're they're growing every single day, so mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You've had to play the corners for the first time since freshman year. Yeah. What has that transition been like? It's been easy, honestly. Um, you know, being a center fielder, I feel like you can play all different, all, both corners if, if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, pretty easy transition, and I, I got all the confidence in the world in, in, in Wood in center field or Hassel even. So um, got no problem with that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to look too far ahead, but, like, next week is Altoona. Yeah. It's you and Paul. Is that that would be the first time you guys would face each other since the Air Force Homer game, right? Uh, like at an actual game, not like yeah, football yeah, stuff. Yeah, actual in an actual game. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm. It'd be fun. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, he's a he's an awesome, awesome dude. Awesome talent. You know, uh, it'll be good. It'll be good to, to see him again and, and face him. I haven't I haven't faced him in a, in a long time. So we'll see what he looks like. How much have you held the Homer over him all these years later? Uh. It's always in the back pocket, but I, 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 I never, I never will, I'll never just throw it into his face. Honestly, he knows it happens. Like that's yeah, I and mean, he heard it. He heard it enough. But I never, I would never say something like that to him because he's, uh, he's got, he's, he's got such a tunnel vision mindset, and and uh, he works hard every single day, and he's proven to everybody that he's a real deal. So. Yeah, have you guys talked about the fact that you went one two? Like when you guys talk, how no, like, neat that is. I, I, we really haven't. You know, I think. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but like, we haven't really sat down and just like had a conversation about it. It's right. pretty pretty cool. I think maybe twenty years down the road, we'll probably finally sit down and, and go over everything. It'd be pretty be pretty awesome. Yeah, it's not like nothing's happening in your lives right now between yeah. all the movement <laughs> and all the getting called up. All right, well, I'm sure a lot of Nats fans are interested in this because. You know, they've seen how quickly you've moved so far. How quickly do you feel like you can get to the majors? Um, well, I mean, I mean, I feel like I can go there at any moment, really. I feel ready, um, but that's not my decision, really. You know, that's that's their decision. Um, but I, I, I feel ready at any moment to go up there and, and compete. You know, like I said, the, the game doesn't change. So go up there and, and be me at the end of the day. Um, so whatever they want to do, whatever they feel like is best for me, I'm all in for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it's not your decision, obviously. Does every game feel like an audition, kind of in that way? Not really. No, no. I'm going out there and just being me. That's it. You know, dealt with pressure my whole life and dealt with expectations. So um, I know how to handle it and going out there and just being me at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. And we'll end on this one. 2020, you made a decision to go to LSU yeah. instead of the shortened draft. Yeah. Worked out pretty well. But how do you look back on that? Uh, best decision I've ever made, for <laughs> sure. For sure. You know. Uh, I just trusted my gut and knew my worth at the end of the day and 
and uh, just wanted to go to school and experience that. And and uh, you know, I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew what I was gonna, you know, I was gambling on myself. So um, going out there and just, like I said, being me and everything kind of work out for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say we did that. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based channel championship team we interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once put on a show nine innings at a time. The others never played a single frame at any point. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Vermilion Venom Men. B. The Sweetwater Swatters. C. The Duluth Trappers. There's no need for you to buzz off if you picked B, the Sweetwater Swatters, who represented the seat of Nolan County, Texas, in two distinct minor leagues decades apart. The Swatters played in the West Texas League from midway through the 1920 campaign till the end of the 1922 season, then from 1949 to 1951 in the Longhorn League. Believe it or not, pal, the Sweetwater Swatters got their start as the Gorman Buddies. An amiable, cheerful lot though the Buddies may have been, they couldn't befriend enough fans in Gorman to resist a sweet deal in Sweetwater. The Abilene Daily Reporter informed its readers on August 4th that a mass meeting of fans and businessmen is to be held at Sweetwater tonight to discuss the transfer of the Gorman franchise. The story also noted that Sweetwater had been one of the towns vying for a West Texas League club at the circuit's founding. It didn't work then, but it worked now! The Buddies officially unfriended Gorman on August 7th and played their first home game as the Swatters on August 15th. The Swatters moniker stemmed from a similar swa sound at the start of Sweetwater. Alliteration always an A-plus choice. And SWAT was a big baseball word of the era, with national papers already referring to Beirut as the Sultan thereof that summer. 
the inaugural Swatters team was held steady by the likes of Guy Sturdy, the first baseman who hit 303 for Sweetwater and went on to appear in 59 games across two seasons for the St. Louis Browns. But the club's 15 and 14 record after the move made them only 51 and 58 on the year, fifth place out of six. The Swatters had to be sweet on their manager, though, Pop Boy Smith, whose Christian name was Clarence Aussie Smith, but who came to be called Pop Boy by virtue of vending soda and peanuts at Birmingham Barons games as a youth. He was 29 when he took the managerial reins of the Sweetwater Club from Burt Heiss, and he'd already had a career in which he'd pitched 57 games between the American League, Chicago, and Cleveland clubs. Pop Boy had Sweetwater bubble up to first place in 21, but they fell flat over the seven-game series against the Abilene Eagles in the finals. From then on, the Swatters missed more than they hit, fizzling out under Pop Boy's stewardship in 22 and failing to resurface after the collapse of the West Texas League that year. The club went through a rough rebirth after the short-lived Sweetwater Sports of the Longhorn League adopted the Swatters moniker for 49. They had to wish they'd eschewed the Swatters switch. They had three straight miserable seasons under that name before playing as the Sweetwater Braves in 1952 for another losing year. And that's how Sweetwater's team turned sour. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these people was a real player who couldn't wait to touch home in the minors of yesteryear? A. Billy Resident B. Charlie Mansmaker C. Eddie Householder Want to know the answer? Order in and wait for it. Or, tune into the next, Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is getting ready for the long weekend, and I've got to iron his spats. Our final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show is we kick off the month of September somehow. I don't get how time passed in that manner to make it September 1st by the time you hear this, but hey, here we are. Uh, we still have a few more weeks of promos and games and all that stuff to promote for you. Benjamin Hill, what is the promo that has caught your eye for this uh, final week? Well, it wouldn't really be for the final week of August. For the, the first weekend in uh, September. Yeah, Labor Day weekend. Traditionally, Crazy. the last regular, the end of the minor league baseball regular season. Of course, now the season goes a little later, particularly in AAA. There is a AAA team I want to focus on. And this is something that was uh, featured on the podcast uh, in an interview a couple weeks back, a segment that I was not able to take part in. Uh, you guys had um, Anthony Sprague the GM of the Buffalo Bisons on to talk about their Mark bobblehead. And that is September 2nd. The Mark in question is their super fan, Mark Akinger. I believe that's how you say his last name. Um, he is at every single game. He's known for his catchphrase, you stink, which he you know yells at the opposing pitcher. Everybody seems to know him at the Bisons game. Uh, he's a beloved presence. When the team first announced this promotion, they said they'd give away 2,000 bobbleheads. Uh, they've upped it to 3,000. You know, that's a lot of bobbleheads at a minor league giveaway. 3,000 Mark Akinger uh, bobbleheads uh, at Saturday's Buffalo Bisons game. And not only that, they have limited edition um, Mark T-shirts that say, you stink, 
on them uh, the available for purchase, as well as a photo session with Mark himself. So all this going on, 3,000 bobbleheads, the limited edition T-shirts, a photo session, all for a fan, uh, which shows, I think, his popularity and presence at, at uh, Salem Field, home of the Buffalo Bisons, for uh, the last several decades. That is a very cool promo. And, uh, yeah, we talked about that uh, probably about a month or so ago on uh, the show before the show podcast. You can go back and check out that episode. Um, MILB.TV is where you catch all the top talent in minor league baseball. Sam, uh, obviously you're in Binghamton for the uh, Pipeline Game of the Month. But what are you watching uh, as the calendar ticks forward? Yeah, so <clears throat> you can tune into any of these games. Uh you know, on MILB TV between Binghamton and Harrisburg. Uh, we're doing the game of the month on Thursday, so it will already have happened by the time you listen to this episode. But I'm going to throw it forward to next week, and I'm going to stay with Harrisburg because there's a really intriguing matchup between Harrisburg and Altoona. Um, again, the Harrisburg lineup's loaded. You're going to want to watch it if you're a Nats fan, no matter what, to see James Wood, to see Dylan Cruz. Uh, and thanks again to him for joining us on the show this week and uh, Brady House. But they go to Altoona. And as of right now, Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick in this year's draft, is scheduled to pitch on September 7th. So that would be Paul Skeens going against his LSU teammate, Dylan Cruz, on the pro side at double-A just a few weeks after they were both drafted, went one-two. You heard me and Dylan talk about that a little bit, what it was like for the two of them, how they haven't really acknowledged how rare that is and how cool that is. I loved his quote saying, like, it's been – Maybe in 20 years, we'll look back on this and be like, how neat was that? But right now, they're too wrapped up in their careers. But they'll meet each other, you know, assuming uh, Cruz is in the lineup, and he absolutely should be. Uh, that That's going to be a big one to watch. Right now, it's it's scheduled for September 7th. If that changes at all, we will sh- be sure to let you know. Uh, but I can guarantee you that is going to be a free game of the day when Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens match up in Altoona. Uh, Tyler, what are you watching? So I'm going to go to the high A level, a couple of fantastic hitters who were taken over the last two drafts. Uh, Tremar Johnson, Wyatt Langford, Tremar Johnson and Greensboro going against Wyatt Langford and Hickory. Uh, Langford now number 23 overall on MLB Pipeline's prospect rankings. And uh, Johnson is number, or check that, uh, Langford is number 13 overall. Johnson is number 23 overall. And uh, those guys will be squaring off in the free game of the day coming up on Saturday. You can catch them on Sunday, of course, uh, at MILB.tv as well. Um, so that'll do it. It's bedtime here. I got to go to bed. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. That's how you're, is that going to be your signature sign off going forward? We've done 422 no. of these and. Whenever uh, Josh Jackson and I are, are exchanging voice notes and Josh gets off on a rant about something and he knows that he needs to stop and he has to go focus on something else, he always ends up with, stop it, leave me alone. So I'm going to do that to you guys today. Stop it, leave me alone. It's bedtime. Leave me alone. Good well, me. I hope you have a good start to your tournament in Taiwan, Tyler. How about hey, that? Thanks. You can end thanks on a little bit guys. more positivity. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, we'll have some fun. And uh We'll be doing these uh, trans-Pacific podcasts for uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra and Josh Jackson, huge thanks to Dylan Cruz. My name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week. 